world. And welcome. I mean, this is this is groundbreaking. Welcome to Football Unfocused. Now, we've done some incredible things in the uh, nine or ten months since we launched this uh, groundbreaking podcast, but this takes things to new level. We are recording for the first time on a Saturday when football is actually happening at the same time. But most revel- I mean, if you could, that in itself is 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 incredible. But if you can uh, take it a step further, myself. Mark and my co-host and comrade Matthew are in the same room. Hello, hello. Oh, are we Matthew? I'm looking <laughs> in his eyes. It does feel a bit, um, bit strange. Yeah, I, 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 I think, don't like it. Well, the one thing I'm most conscious of is because I I can happily quite nod away at the end of, mm. of my mm. <laughs> of my laptop. Yeah, and you you're quite happy speaking into it. Yeah. Um, but you don't like nodding away whilst looking well, at my face. <laughs> yeah, that may seem that may take it to another level. Matthew, do you think that this is the first time that anyone has ever recorded a podcast in the same room? Well, if it is, I'd like to know about it. Well, it I, I think it definitely is. I think we're we're taking we're taking we're breaking you know technological grounds. We're breaking sociological grounds. I'm sure that nobody ever. Uh, I mean, considering there's about uh, probably about 15, 20 million podcasts in the world, I'm sure nobody's ever thought of an idea of sitting next to each other whilst doing it. It's a, it's a revolutionary, it's a revolutionary concept, and it, yeah. it feels very pre-pandemic, very uh, retro, very uh, sort of you know 2018. Uh, and, I, and I, for one, am a big fan of that, Matthew, because as you know, I prefer to look anything, back rather than forward. Yeah, I was going to say anything that turns the clock back. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you, 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 you're, yeah. you're all in for. Yeah, reverses the inexorable <laughs> deterioration of time yes so we are in the uh, the living room of my house in East London we are uh, uh, blessed with the presence of Matthew for this weekend and the reason for it actually which we'll briefly very briefly touch upon uh, is that we are celebrating uh, the birthday of uh, a good friend and podcast listener of us who for the purposes of <laughs> anonymity I will call uh, Wavid Lutenga um, who is t- <laughs> large Wavid Lutenga who is turned Turning 40, um, uh, uh, or turned 40 the other day, and we're out uh, on the booze tonight, aren't we, Matt? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we're uh, lads, lads, lads. We're having it tonight. So, we thought we'd just talk about football for a little bit beforehand, make sure we knock out an episode uh, this week. We don't want to let down our millions of. uh, I mean, it's it's 4.48 on a a Saturday. They're probably so depressed now thinking that nothing's coming out today. No, I know. You know, there's some some people in wells of depression. (laughs) Don't worry, we're coming. We're coming. Over the hill. (laughs) (laughs) Riding over the hill, you'll see us appear. We are coming and better than ever. Matthew. I'm going to ask you. You're going to ask me. Just before we start, you're like, I haven't thought of any questions. Yeah, but yeah, but I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to think of something. Matthew, <laughs> Matthew, don't force it. Matthew, <laughs> Matthew. <laughs> question one, Matthew, this week. Matthew, how are you? Oh, you're awesome. Yeah. That's like, I've answered questionnaires at work where it says, do you feel happier today than you were yesterday? Matthew, <laughs> do you feel happier today than you were yesterday? <laughs> well, generally I'd say, well, um, I didn't really think about how happy I was yesterday, so that's quite mm. a hard question to answer. Yeah. If you 
If you're depressed, can you think about your happiness ret- retrospectively? <laughs> well, Retrospective I, happiness. Yeah, and if I'd made a note of it. Yeah. Um, you should start doing that. Okay. <laughs> I would actually like to see over the next six months a happiness index from you, just to see how you the waves, waves of happiness up and just, down. Just so I can have a laugh at it. Really. Yeah, 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 yeah. For a laugh. Yeah. For a laugh. And uh, I'm hoping very much, because bear in mind, you are going to yourself be turning 40 in the uh, the great month of March, uh, early March. Uh, so I, suspect, I strongly suspect there will be a, a real trough of happiness after uh, the turning of uh, don't, don't impose your own sort of... Um... No, I'm... No, I, no, I, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that is my reason that Yeah, I to bring you down. And it's not just you, I impose it on everyone. Yeah, the, the sort of six months head start I have every year on uh, the next landmark I want to use that as a mechanism to bring you down to crush the life out of you any any hopes you have any optimism you have so yeah 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 Matthew second question Matthew you are currently drinking a uh, a, I mean because this is how much of a lad you are you're currently drinking a pint of cider what's your favourite cider (laughs) Um, uh, the thing is I'm going to say, well, it's Koppenberg, which oh, is, is like it? the sweetest, yeah. it's like apple juice. It's, it's, I'd describe it as sort of, you know, poor quality, Weatherspoons drinking uh, <laughs> fruit juice for, 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 for twats who know nothing about cider. So, <laughs> so you. <laughs> so, yeah, they, 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 had me, they had me in mind, I think, when they were yeah. you know, sort of prepping the market. Yeah, they thought, oh, that guy. Yeah, they I think of a big wanker. Yeah, you know, you're a cider drinker who knows nothing about cider <laughs> yeah, yeah. and has no appreciation of quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, George, what makes Copperberg stand out for you? Then it is a bit sweet. Yeah. It's a bit sweet. I think. Yeah, I do have a bit of sweet teeth. Um, and I just quite low alcohol. I think. Yeah, low. Yeah, low alcohol. If you look at like, the good quality premium ciders, they need to be six percent and above. They're yeah. they're higher at ABV than beers, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> no, but they are, as they should be. I think that's to do with like the brewing process and to get the best, highest quality flavour and, and to make them a little bit less overpoweringly sweet and sickly. And that's why the, the sort of poor quality run in the mill, you know, your Bulmers, your your Magnas, your Strongbows, You're just naming all my <laughs> Yeah, exactly. All the shit that you like. Well, I'll stick, I'll stick to my nice dry cloudy asphalt. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, but they give you a right hangover, the stronger ones. Well, only if you're a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, good, good. Which we've established. Uh, we, <laughs> yeah, you definitely are. Yeah, yeah. That was also in the marketing brief. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Stinking hangovers. Pussy, chip, uh, tick. Yeah, yeah. Knows nothing about cider, tick. Yeah, hangovers. Tick. This is going to yeah, be a great yeah. drink. Yeah, twat, tick. Excellent. Okay, I think that's probably the end of my questions. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I, I can't be bothered to think of another question this week. I'll think of more biting uh, questions for the next time that we have a, a good 300 miles between us. Which is, uh, which is what I prefer. Um, so, Matthew, today we're going to, uh, we're as in this live episode, uh, without the uh, the ability to um, to edit, we want to sort of, you know, crack on yeah, uh, yeah, with yeah. the real, the content that people c- come to us for. Um, <laughs> come to you. Uh, as quickly as possible. <laughs> Now you made a um, uh, a couple of suggestions of things that we could talk about that are kind of quite pertinent at this time of year, particularly around kind of you know January transfer window and 
the performance of certain clubs over the... Oh, we can actually give live updates. Uh, this... <laughs> it, won't be, it won't be live. because Watford <laughs> appear to have stolen a late equaliser in the crucial six-pointer uh, against uh, Newcastle United. So it is possible, if you're putting this up today, that somebody is going to hear that result oh, before no. checking themselves. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, and as we stand on 97 minutes, Norwich City are clinging on to beat the mighty Everton at 2-1. That was actually 2-0. I'm telling you straight, my little, my little prediction, if Everton loses that game, I think Rafa, that could be curtains for agent Rafa, who's doing a great job in undermining um, <laughs> undermining Everton. Uh, I don't yeah. know if it's much of a podcast where we just sit in front of the TV and read out what's off sky and... Well, I mean, that's what, that's what I do on Soccer Saturday. <laughs> what, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think? We're just basically passing on what they do <laughs> to sit there watching a telly and say, oh, so-and-so have just scored, you know, yeah, and we're, yeah. just, we're just doing this. <laughs> don't shoot the messenger message. Um, yeah. So uh, and 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 also so it is before. Uh, so today uh, Chelsea have beaten Manchester City. Sorry, Manchester City have beaten Chelsea one 0 which pretty much ends the uh, title race. And uh, as you so predicted, that was I also did. that was I also did. one thing I was enjoying from last episode. You were just saying, and and another thing I also predicted, which is yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is that 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 makes me sound like some sort of crazed egomaniac. Which, uh, I wouldn't want you to think that for one uh, second, uh, Matthew. Because uh, the next thing I can speak for half an hour without without a with, break. without interruption, <laughs> without, without need for validation or approval. Yeah, uh, and and yeah, the the, the, the fact that um, um, I. I sort of, you know, go back and reference what I said in a previous podcast. And so, you know, needless to say, I had the last life, laugh I was right all along. It's actually a product, uh, being absolutely honest, is a product of the fact that I tend to listen to our podcast about half an hour before we record the next one, just so I can remind myself what we spoke about. So it's so fresh in my mind that uh, I, I, I kind of... It's like we're recording them consecutively. So otherwise, I wouldn't have a bloody clue what I say. But, uh, but it is... I mean, let's face it, everyone likes to be right, don't they? And, uh, I'm, just, I'm just very lucky that, I, you know, 99, 99.9% of the time I am. Uh, uh, which is brilliant. Um, so, yeah, so would you, do, you want to, do you want to kind of summarise what you wanted to talk about then? It is, it is... Yeah, so this was off the back of every episode that we'd recorded for the last few um, uh, you know, podcasts. You would just lament how I just contributed so little yeah. to, 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 yeah. to the content. Also and to my life. But that wasn't just after the back of podcast. No, no, no. Basically. It's an observation yeah. since 1993. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, yes, I, I messaged you with uh, a few suggestions yep. as to possible topics. Um, mm-hmm. The well, we don't need to do them all, but the first was um, looking at the end of um, I can't remember his first name. Something Woodward. Ed Woodward. Ed Woodward. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be confused with Edward Woodward, who of course was oh, the uh, uh, yeah well, no Ed, Edward Woodward, I believe, was the lead uh, role had the lead role in the Wicker Man, the cult nineteen seventies folk horror classic, uh, starring himself and uh, Britt Eklund. Uh, what, what a film! Um, and I think it wasn't he also in like The Equaliser I think he was that's the one they've remade with Angel Wasserman isn't it was that Jason Statham The Equaliser no that's the Tran oh, oh the Tran oh, oh. Trans- <laughs> yeah but I'm pretty sure Edward Woodward was the original Equaliser but, any- but anyway uh-huh. so, so but yeah not to be confused so sorry yeah, Edward yeah. Woodward the- and um, so it was, a, it was a look at the, the, the end of his reign 
um, the sort of perceived demise at of Manchester United, at Manchester United, Man United sorry, and uh, perceived demise of um, of the performance of Man U over the years compared and contrasted with the the rise of Man City and the mm. fact that they'd spent probably I thought maybe the equivalent amount I don't actually know for sure but but they've obviously spent a lot of money and that's pretty close I don't know I mean these these things can be you know I'm sure they can be kind of undermined uh, with critique but it, it let me put it this way it will be pretty close if you look at a kind of league table of net spend in the in the Premier League over the last 10 years between those two Manchester clubs and clearly the results are significantly different in fact I'd imagine just guessing that the red side of Manchester's net spend is, is greater because when I think about the money that they have frittered away and how little of that they have uh, got back, whereas City actually, particularly over the last kind of five or six years, have started to run themselves in a much more kind of um, business-like fashion. Look at the way they've just got, was it about 55 million quid back for Ferran Torres, a guy who wasn't even playing that much. That's a real smart piece of business. And what that does is that, enables them to reinvest that money, it goes towards the bottom line, they can then um, use it for, for transfers, it keeps the sort of financial fair play vultures away from them. Um, so, uh, and I can't think of many examples uh, on the red side of them doing that under the Ed. And it's interesting because the success prior to Ed Woodward was really, you, you know, you'd hear, I, I, I'm because I'm not a fan of the club and because, I mean, frankly, I that you know, it's no secret. I'm not a big fan of them uh, either. You know, so it's not really my concern as to whether they're doing well or not. I, you know, frankly, I'm completely disinterested in them. But of course, as a football fan, I have a, a you know an interest and a, and a level of knowledge. And it appeared that when Ferguson was in charge, he was such a a kind of throwback, almost it's the type of manager with a level of control over every element of the club that you just are not going to get anymore because of the way that these huge kind of multinational organisations are layered and have levels of, you know, senior management, middle management, decision-making processes that are much more complicated and have ramifications way beyond what it would have been in 1986 when Ferguson first got the job. And he, throughout his time there, had an initially very strong relationship with Martin Edwards and the Edwards family who owned and ran the club. And then when they sold to the Glazers, I think he, I think, you know, it's, I think it's probably an open secret that Ferguson was, um, resistant to them, wasn't a big fan of their plans for the club, the way they bought the club. But because David Gill was in as chief executive and he had a really strong working relationship with him, I think the two of them, the bond that they formed and ensured the continued success, and that's probably the only reason where why the deterioration didn't start sooner. Because really, the deterioration is as a direct result of the Glazers running of the, of the club, and you only have to look at the way that they're, you know, the fans of that club um, feel about it, and you know, get, uh, you know, every every so often you'll get a kind of renew a renewed. Uh, level of hostility and hatred uh, towards them, and the, you know, look at what happened last year. Yes, the Super League was like ostensibly on the surface the reason, but that was underlying an underlying cauldron of, of, of frustration and resentment that exploded and ended up getting a game called off at Old Trafford um, uh, against Liverpool and, um, you know, various other protests and having to make lots of security arrangements for the next few home games just to make sure it didn't happen again. And uh, it's amazing, really. I mean, I've said it before on this podcast, but it is incredible that an organisation that big, one of the 
best supported and financially wealthy clubs in the world can deteriorate to such an extent. Now, clearly, you know, they've not they've not been relegated. They're still, a, a, you know, one of the better sides in the Premier League. But the, a club that has spent that amount of money consistent, consistently over that number of years and think of themselves at that level, to not to kind of have... At this stage of the season, you know, just just over halfway through a season, their their kind of best case scenario would be to scrape into the top four. They're not in any conversation to win the um, the Premier League, and that will then be um, that means that they're going to now go a minimum of ten years uh, without winning it because the earliest now they could win it is twenty twenty three, and that is exactly ten years uh, since they won it. Which again, as I've referenced, I think in in the past in this podcast is 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 in some respects unbelievable, but in other respects, it, it shouldn't be too much of a surprise because football is cyclical. Periods of dominance don't tend to, to last forever and every club is going to have to have a, a, you know, a period of struggle. But I suppose what makes this particular case interesting is that financially and kind of, you know, culturally and historically, and just in terms of the way that they kind of regard themselves as well, they are you know, the biggest club in the country. They are the best supported club worldwide. They are the most financially uh, well-resourced club. And it just goes to show it's no it's no guarantee of success. And the Ed Woodward, I mean, I, I don't know and I'm not interested enough to make a, an assessment as to his level of responsibility, but it is absolutely clear that since he's been in charge there, things have gone wrong. And the mistakes... I don't know whether this is down to him or whether this is kind of, you know, other members of the board or the Glazer family, but the mistake that they have made consistently really since 2013, 14, 15 is thinking that celebrity big name signings are the answers to the problems rather than a, a sort of coherent plan, getting a base of players together based around a philosophy and a style of play and making that the priority over the individual and kind of what's going to be a hit on social media. I mean, it really stood out, actually, when Paul Pogba re-signed. Must have been, what was that, about 2015, 14, maybe? I, 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 don't, I don't remember, maybe 15. But I, I, I distinctly remember um, Liverpool's first away trip to Old Trafford that season. And the most of the digital advertising around the pitch was about Paul Pogba's... Uh, what was it like his Twitter account or his Instagram meme or his like whatever the the, the sort of character the, the, the sort of you know the I would avatar what yeah whatever that <laughs> whatever that is and I just think what world are we living in now that that's like who's funded that is that the club promoting because that would surely fall a fall a um, fall within the kind of to the financial benefit of that particular player rather than the club with his image rights uh, ownership so you kind of think okay well. Is this the is the tail wagging the dog here? Like, kind of, what's what's gone? It's mad. Um, and when that that type of thing starts happening, and you just have to look at it every year, it's like you know, even going back to sort of you know around twenty fourteen fifteen when people like Di Maria and Falcao and Schweinsteiger, it was always like, oh look who we signed this amazing name. Oh this this person's won a World Cup. This person played for Real Madrid. This person won the Golden Boot. But they all seem to then go there and have a level of deterioration um, they, they, you know so few of them go on to fulfil anything like the promise that they're signed on the basis of with the possible exception of Zlatan who even though he only had one season that was only I think because he got a really bad injury at the end of that season and then kind of couldn't play in the 
I think in the second season and was then didn't want to renew his contract and off he went. But the fact he's still playing, he's I think he's uh, about three weeks younger than me, so he's <laughs> so he's forty, still one of the best, most effective strikers in Serie A. I mean, he's Ed, I think he's now at a stage he's getting a lot of injuries. He can't play every game, but he's still an absolute specimen, and he had a really good season. But that's probably no coincidence that he was the success because he's such a an immensely confident, egotistical character, a real force of nature himself, that he um, he can kind of take the the kind of pressure, he can take the weight of expectation of any club. He doesn't care what club it is because he considers himself as, as big, if not bigger than them anyway. And I guess that, that probably is quite telling because... You know, as as a supporter of a club that itself had a, a you know a, a thirty year period of struggle without winning a title, so that's three times what they're uh, currently experiencing. And during that period of time, yeah, okay, there was like a miraculous Champions League win and the odd spell where you think, okay, we get get together. But one of the key, um, one of the one of the consistent uh, themes during that time was putting faith in players who you think is going to be the last, the missing piece in the jigsaw, and then them falling under that weight of expectation. It's a lot for players to carry once you hit that situation. And I, my view is that they would be best served to actually just start buying players based on potential rather than kind of current standing and try to build something kind of from the ground up. And I, I suspect that's probably what um, this guy Ragnick wants to do. And it's whether or not really his... It's such, it's such a weird, especially for an elite club, it's such a weird setup to give a guy a job for kind of six months, uh, but then in the knowledge that he is going to be around to potentially choose his successors as a kind of director of football or head of you know football development or whatever he's going to be. So he's going to be running the club for the next six months or running the team for the next six months, but then the players kind of need to consider that even they can't down tools and not play for him because he's going to be there behind the scenes dictating their future moving forward and even if they go for someone like Pochettino it's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really weird dynamic maybe it'll work out I don't know I mean I, I don't I think it'll be full, as I've said before you know because they're so big and so financially powerful at some point they are going to get it right you throw enough darts at the board you'll get it right but they are they must I mean it must be quite embarrassing really I, there's a, there's one Person, I won't, I won't name him, but he's uh, I, I, a, a former um, uh, work colleague of mine who I saw at the cricket in the uh, summer. Who uh, said to me, uh, "This was about a week, I think, into the season, sort of early September, two weeks into the season," and he sort of, you know, quite, quite uh, arrogantly. I don't know whether he was, t- maybe he was tongue in cheek, and I'm doing him disservice. But he sort of said, "Oh, it's going to be a straight shootout between the Manchester clubs this season for the league, isn't it?" And I, and I sort of said, well, well, based on what exactly? Like, we just said, well, because we signed Ronaldo, and it really was. And that's the problem. That's it's all. That's the answer, and that's really the legacy of the Wood Woodward years. That you know, just get a big name in, and that will be okay, regardless of whether. I mean, Ronaldo, as I said, I think last week, he's he's objectively one of the greatest players ever to walk on a football pitch. His record is phenomenal. It is it will be unmatched for for generations. His longevity, the quality, the determination to win, the spirit of self improvement is just absolutely remarkable whether whether you you know love him or not you that has to command respect and it and it does um but that the the success or or relative success of last season finishing second and getting to the Europa League final um was based upon um uh sort of you know quite rapid dynamic counter-attacking um with you know quick young players and if you suddenly plonk 
Ronaldo in there, who now has become, um, to, to kind of give longevity to his career, become just a quite a stagnant front man, that, that messes up the entire dynamic of the side. And I, I remember thinking that and sort of saying that to a few people at the time, and it was being completely rejected in the hysteria of, um, of kind of Ronaldo mania. But you know, as I, needless, as I said, to, say. needless <laughs> to say, Matthew, I'm, I'm having the last laugh and I've had the last laugh. And, um, but you know, maybe they'll win the Champions League. I mean, there's still half season left and the Champions League is the sort of competition where he, uh, often sort of comes up trumps. I mean, I wouldn't personally put any money on it, but you, you know, you never know. Stranger things have happened. Liverpool won it in 2005 with a, with Jimmy Traore in the side. So, uh, so yeah. And the other thing you wanted to talk about was kind of, um, there's two possible options. Yeah. Well, the one was, um, looking at big signings. So, so mm. I read a, I read a football article, so I yeah. never came to it. Show off. <laughs> and, um, and they were talking about Jack Grealish. They described, um, they described him as a clown running around with a, with a safety helmet on. Um, that so, was a David Walsh article, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was and, that, ba- what was the basis of that then? Um, because he's got he, safety he, helmet style he, hair. Yeah, I didn't know his haircut. So, yes, I didn't quite, I never quite, I didn't, Get the the analogy, even by the very end, but that necessarily isn't saying much about <laughs> the, the standard of the article. Don't sell yourself short, mate. You're a smart guy. You've got a degree. Uh, but, but but there was the idea that you know he's a hundred million pound player. Um, he was playing for a team, Aston Villa, where teams would be set up against Aston Villa, not necessarily with the strongest defence. And now he's joined a team uh, where teams are setting themselves up defensively mm-hmm. first. And so now he doesn't quite have that space to sort of be creative and he's sort of reduced to a, a person where he gets the ball and then just passes it, you know, yeah, back yeah. again, always sideways, not that kind of forward momentum. And he's just so, I think the idea was that he's very risk averse now. And did they really, mm. is that what they spent a hundred million pounds for? For, yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of things there. I think firstly, based on his, first kind of six months there, that probably is a fair observation. I think he hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't been bad. He's probably been six out of ten. But I suppose when you buy a player for £100 million, you'd want more. But I do also think, actually, it's a work in progress. And I think some people would counter that and say, if you buy a player for £100 million, that's the finished article. It should be instant success. But even a £100 million player needs to work out the way that he fits into that system of that particular club. Bear in mind that as good as Grealish is, he is still, he had, he started this season with no experience in the Champions League, never played Champions League football before, spent quite a large proportion of his career playing Fast and Villa in the Championship. So it's only over really the last couple of years of, of consistently seeing, you know, top class performances for Aston Villa, where he looked like everything was kind of going through him and he was keeping the team going, that his reputation was built. He only really started playing international football six months or so before the, uh, the Euros. And isn't uh, an automatic starter for England. There was a long spell where Gareth Southgate was unconvinced about whether he could fit into the way England play. So, in some respects, you can look at that and say it's quite surprising that a coach as meticulous uh, as Pep Guardiola, who buys players who are you know at the absolute apex of their careers, chose to um, for the club to invest such a massive amount of money on one player, but. At the same time, I look at it and think, 
Pep Guardiola is a, I genuinely think he is a, as I said before he's a genius of football people can try and undermine his record and say well he always is at the most well resourced clubs and you, you can give anyone those clubs and they'll succeed no they wouldn't not with the, the relentless level of, of consistency playing the brand of football that he managed to get every club playing with that the intensity and the energy that year after year he just drives into his players is incredible and I just think that with Grealish he, he's he's going to need this period of maturing as a player he, he's going to have to change the way he plays Villa basically they reminded me the way they were playing quite a lot of uh, watching Liverpool in the 1990s when Steve McManaman was playing for us where there was a spell of time where we were so reliant on him as the playmaker it was a case of give him the ball and it, you know there are actually some similarities in terms of the way they play and you, you know he'd do everything from a kind of standing start clever little body movements sort of getting behind the defence pull back you know across his, his curling one in the top corner and all that sort of stuff but when you play for Man City so much of it is based on quick off the ball movement give go give go give go and that's kind of different he was he was dwelling on the ball a lot more at Villa and was encouraged to do so because he was their best player by such a long distance so I, I am relatively confident that he will succeed but there was a spell earlier in the season when probably overly optimistic um, from the point of view of not you know hoping that they might struggle a little bit and um, and not be the relentless force that they are um, you know, proving once again to be. But I thought, oh, he's actually going to slow down and undermine their ability to play that type of football. But I think that firstly, Pep, regardless of the fact they've spent 100 million on him, if that was the case, he would, he just wouldn't pick him, wouldn't care. <laughs> um, and, you know, no room for sentimentality. He'll do what it takes to win. I mean, you know, the first three months of the season, he barely played Raheem Sterling and he's been one of the best players for, since he signed, what, six or, six or seven years ago. Um, and the other uh, point of view is that um, uh, because Pep's training regime is so intense and so meticulous, um, he will change Jack Grealish. And I think it will be to um, to the benefit of, of Jack Grealish at club and international level. I think he'll be a significantly better player. So I think, it, I think he'll be all right. I can understand why a journalist would look at him and kind of have that point of view, but I think it's a little bit... Harsh, and if you're if the if the journalist writing that article's intention was to kind of start to think about throwing him in with other what you'd call kind of flop big money transfers, then that is massively harsh. I mean, you in your suggestion things to talk about, you've named you you named <laughs> up Andy Carroll in there, for example. <laughs> I mean, you can't even put those two in the same <laughs> sentence. I mean, Andy Carroll really was, you know, a disaster. Um, and what's quite interesting, actually, about when you look at Andy Carroll, I think it's now 11 years since that that January transfer window. And we should probably focus specifically on January as opposed to summer transfer window, because we are in January. It is rare that you get a player signed in that month that makes such a difference as to, you know, keep a club up or win them the league or get them in Europe or whatever. But it does happen. Um, and the reason that Andy Carroll was signed for £35 million at, in a rush was obviously because Fernando Torres who'd been Liverpool's best striker for quite a few years suddenly decided you know a couple of days before the transfer window was going to close oh I want to go to Chelsea but what gets lost is that everyone sort of goes oh you spent £35 million on Andy Carroll what a waste of money but he probably scored as many goals for Liverpool as Fernando Torres did for Chelsea and Torres cost 50 million quid now Torres I'm, I'm, I've always sort of you know said this um, that I was genuinely um, 
like devastated, like absolutely heartbrokenly devastated when he left. Um, because I made the mistake, and this is the last time I've done it, I've become like chiseled and cynical now. <laughs> last time I've done it in, you know, the back end of 2010, early part of 2011, and I genuinely thought, uh, he cared and that he was, he wouldn't just like abandon the club because he'd built up such a strong bond with the supporters and he would, you know, we'd come so close to winning some massive trophies, you know, 2009 season. I still think that's one of the best Liverpool teams I've ever seen. And he lost two games all season, got 86 points and came second. And, you know, but he didn't, he kind of held us to ransom, decided he wanted to, to, to join Chelsea and left, but he was, a, you know, for a 50 million player, that's probably the equivalent now with the way the market's developed of being a Jack Grealish £100 million player. You know, sort of 10 years later, that's probably mm. the, the level. You know, £50 million was was a good 15, 20 million above what the, what people were, were spending and regarding as a big transfer at that time. So Grealish, I guess, is 20 or £30 million above what would be a, a premium signing now. And, you know, <laughs> yes, you could say, okay, he won the Champions League technically at Chelsea and he won the FA Cup technically at Chelsea. I think he might have even had a title, but he did so much of it as a peripheral figure. You know, he was barely scoring any goals. It only took a few months before they gave up picking him and he was just on the bench. I went to the 2012 FA Cup final, saw us lose to Chelsea and watching him, and bear in mind, that's the same, sorry, that's the following season. So that's 18 months after he'd left and seeing him sort of skulking off the bench at the end of the match, sort of coming on the pitch and getting himself half-heartedly involved in celebrations when he played no part, hadn't even been brought on because his manager, Di Matteo, just didn't see any value in bringing him on. Just thought, well, he's not going to make any difference. And looking back, it's easy with hindsight, but he had um, he had, had a slow end to the 2009-10 season. He'd got quite a bad injury. And then at the end of the 2010 World Cup final, when Spain won the World Cup, he actually went down, I think... I think it was pretty much in injury time at the end of the game and had to be treated for an injury um, as the players were kind of celebrating. And I, I, I can't remember whether it was like a hamstring or a calf injury. But essentially that, that injury kept him out for, I think, the first two or three months of the season. And to me, it, it proper undermined his ability for quite a long period of time after that. And he was never the same player. So actually, even though I was totally devastated, I think we managed to get some money for a player who you know, had, had gone past his best. But it is rare in January to to sign someone who who kind of makes a, a big difference. What you might get, though, which I suspect might happen with Newcastle, is you get players who are a level above what you've already got in the club. And at that stage where you're in threat of relegation, you can bring in someone who will just give you enough of a boost to get five or six more points than you would do otherwise to keep you in the Premier League. Um so it probably makes more difference to the lower clubs. And Burnley, I think I said last week on the podcast, Burnley have just sold their main goal-scoring threat to a relegation rival to Newcastle. So Burnley and Newcastle are in the same relegation zone together, and Burnley have allowed their most... Their, well, I don't know. I, wouldn't, I, don't, I don't actually think Chris Wood's a particularly good player, but he is the player that they have with the best goal-scoring record. Uh, and he's gone to a relegate. I mean, they might as well just admit defeat now and say, "Okay, we'll just we'll just go down then." <laughs> Talk about lack of ambition; it's mental. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's they are my observations uh, of your uh, of your um, uh, suggested topics, Matthew. <laughs> and I notice you're looking desperately at the uh, the clock. 
<laughs> because of your fixation with us coming in around the 34, 35 minute mark, because it suits your agenda of, uh, of the, of the, the cost, uh, yeah, 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 your, your cost cutting, uh, exercise. So, uh, so that might as well be it. Unless you've got, have you got anything to add, Matthew? No, definitely no, not. <laughs> Time to go. <laughs> Superb. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this live uh, this live broadcast. Um, we are uh, on the verge of Aston Villa against Manchester United. <laughs> the the afternoon games have concluded. I believe Norwich did beat Everton, which really is <laughs> quite remarkable. And on that sensational bombshell, it's time to say happy 40th once again to uh, Lavid Wutenga and uh, and goodbye. <laughs>